As Jeff mentioned earlier today, we're in a series called Rhythms of the Church. And last week, essentially what we're saying is like there are habits, right? Habits that inform um, our behavior. Last week we talked about one of those rhythms is to know God. Um, the way we know God primarily is through his word. But, but it's more than just like words on a page, right? The, that to know God um, is to have a deep-seated relationship with God, right? The, the reason why we read our Bibles is not so that we can inform our knowledge and wisdom. It's so that we can have a relationship with the living God, right? So that's why we read our Bibles. It's not to get smarter. It's to grow deeper with the love of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord that, like, when you read your Bible, your affections begin to stir in you towards Jesus. And those affections that you have in your heart turn into adoration. That's the beauty about Scripture, right? That when you read it, like, you're not only grateful for what God is doing in the Word, but, like, it stirs in you feelings and emotions that lead you to Jesus that say, I want to know more about you. I will spend a lifetime with you. So today, we're gonna to talk about another rhythm. It's, it's, it's to love in community. This sermon's very practical, and here's the objective. The objective is that if you are not, like in a church our size, this is a large church, in a church our size, it is easy to walk into those doors and to sit in those pews and not be known by anyone. And in fact, it's so, it's so easy, like, in fact, that you're sitting in a pew in which someone in the previous service sat and you have no clue who that person was. So, so the goal and objective of, of our morning today is to encourage you to be in community with the believers, because that's the rhythm the church has always had. Since the beginning of the church in Acts, one of the rhythms was to be in community. Now, if you're sitting there, you're saying, I'm already in a community. I've been in an ABF for 45 years of my life. I don't need this sermon. Yes, you do. <laughs> I promise you, you do. Because, because here's the danger with so many, with some people. Um, we tend to, in our groups that we've been for a long time, like to think a certain way, behave a certain way, and sometimes we do things out of routine. We just do them because we've been doing them forever. The objective this morning is to stir your affections again, to continue to do life with people for the benefit of other people, right? Like, we often think that we, we're, we're in a group because somehow that group is going to serve me, right? Like, the, the group that I'm in elevates certain spiritual gifts, and I can exercise those gifts. That's not the point of the group. The point of the group is to love others before yourself. The point of being in a group is to stir everyone in that group towards Jesus. We're moving closer to Jesus. We're not here, right, to lift up and exalt one person's gifting if they have the gift of teaching. We're not here to lift up someone's ability to, to, to be hospitable. We're here to spur each other in love. Why? To move us closer to Jesus. That's the point of being in a group. So if you're not in a group, you should be in a group. There's no reason why you shouldn't be in a group. God did not design us to live in isolation. If you're not in a group, my charge to you today, get in one. No excuse. And if you are in a group, my charge to you today is love more. Receive new people. That's some of the issues that we face in some of our ABFs, right? We, we, we've been doing ABF for a long time, but we haven't seen a new person in our group for the last 20 years. Let's think about how we can get more people. Why? 
move us closer to Jesus. All right, Romans chapter 12. Did I tell you what chapter it was? Yeah, chapter 12, verse 9. Page 948, sorry. Did I give you the wrong number? Yeah, 948. 948. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo to one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Last verse, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, I'm thinking of rhythms, right? We're talking about rhythms. Um, I'm reminded um, of a new rhythm that we, that we all have, right? And uh, the high school ministry is actually starting a new rhythm. Uh, for some of them, it's going to be easy. For some of them, it's going to be hard. Um, the new rhythm that they're starting is um, we're moving high school ministry to Sunday nights. Um, they're going to have to learn a new rhythm, um, meaning that, that we're not going to have Sunday morning programming, and this is awesome. Here's, here's, why, here's why we're doing this, because there's an opportunity for our high school students, right, to, to invite more students to church, um, and also um, an opportunity for our students to serve in the body, right, to, to be part of the life of the church, whether it's to serve in kids or elementary or to serve um, as greeters in the doors, um, to serve at Fur Hill, whatever it is, right, like we want our students, right, to know God and to be in community, and one of the ways that we're going to do that is for them to meet on Sunday nights where they can use their talents in worship, hear the word, and, and be part of a small group. That's, that's a new rhythm that we're introducing to students. It's going to be a hard rhythm, a difficult rhythm, but, but for this purpose, right, for, for this purpose to, to love genuinely, to, to hold fast to what is good, to, to love in community. And, and the reason why, like I said before, that we're doing this is because God did not design us to live in isolation. This is the problem that I have with the pandemic. The pandemic said, you can live in isolation, and isolation is good for you, and here's the problem. That's not how God designed us to be. God designed us to live together in unity with each other, to do life together, to, to mourn with the people who mourn, to, to rejoice with the people who are rejoicing, to spur each other on towards Jesus, to encourage each other when we need encouragement, to remind them that you are loved and you are known and you are seen by a good God. God did not design us to live in isolation. That is a lie from the world. That is a lie from the American culture. Individualism. The American culture is going to tell you, you yourself, on your own, is better than everyone else. And your objective in life is to seek people around you who will support and give you all that you need to live the life that you want to live. And those people who do not support, those people who do not encourage you to do those things, you shouldn't be in community with them. You should cut them off, right? The youngsters call them haters, right? Like, just, just cut them off. That's not God's design. God's design is to love people who are difficult to love. You want to learn how to love? Love someone who's hard to love. You, you want to show compassion? Show to compassion to someone? that doesn't deserve compassion. You, you want to learn how to be merciful? Give mercy to someone who doesn't need it. 
That, that's the point of living in community. We're missing out. If you're living in isolation, you're missing out. You're missing out on God's good gift. In fact, God himself lives in community. Did you know that? Did you know that God himself lives in community? If you knew that, raise your hand. He, he lives in community in this way. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in community. Three persons, triune God, lives in community. If it's good enough for God, it must be good enough for you. We're called to be in community with each other so that we can love. Um, a couple of years ago, there's some high schoolers in the room. Um, they will remember this. I think it was like a year or two years ago. There was a heated debate in the high school ministry. It was hot, like heated, a good way. It was like the first time in ministry, I was like, oh my gosh, more than one kid decided to speak in the high school. I was like, <laughs> I like wanted to be quiet. I was like, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, because you don't do this and you'll never do it again, right? <laughs> There was a heated debate. This was the debate. You ready? And also, too, I was kind of instigating the situation. <laughs> That's not my normal character, I promise. <laughs> you laugh. That wasn't a joke. Um, um, so here's what happened. I, in fact, I promise you, I don't even remember what, we, what we, I was teaching. I was teaching something. I don't remember what it was. Here was the debate. It was between the high school leaders and the students, and it was hot. Um, it was on what is love, right? Not the song, what does love got to do with it? Yeah, no. It's, um, so here, 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 here's what it was. Um, it was a bit on what is love? What is it? Is it a feeling or is it an action? Straw Paul, we're going to have a debate. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> how many of you think, believe, that love John, you can't vote in this one because you were in that group. Um, how many of you believe that love is a feeling? Raise your hand. It's okay. There's no wrong answer. Oh, there's three of us. Okay, good. Four. There's a thousand people and there's like three. How many of you believe love is an action? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you believe um, it's both? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you do not like to take position? You're indifferent and you're like, I'm not about this. I'm just watching the clock. Raise your hand. <laughs> no one would dare do it. Yes, because the ushers would. <laughs> so here's what the students said. This is what the students said. Can you guess what they said? Okay. They said, love is a feeling. And they looked to the leaders and they were like, are you kidding me? Are you, surely you do not believe love is an action. And then some of the leaders were like, well, like when you don't love, you still have to act and you still have to love or whatever. And they were like, that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? That's fake. Why would you not feel the love for your wife? Because they were like, you know, you got to wake up every single morning and some of us have to choose love every day for that person. Like that's what some of them said. I'm sorry, but that's. Like, like you ha I'm sure for those of you who are married for 40, 50 years, I'm sure, right? Like, this is them. This is their argument. Like, you don't love them all the time. You have to love them, not with a feeling, but with action. And the students went crazy. And I was like, yeah, that's true. How dare you not, like, love them with a feeling? You fell out of love with them? You're cheating on them, right? Like, I was just going off. And they were like, yes. We want more. And I'm just, ah, I love it. I love confrontation, by the way. Anyway, side note. So the student said, it has to be a feeling. You have to be able to feel it. Leaders are like, no. 
You got to be able to choose it every day. Here's where we landed. Good Americans, I guess. Not really, but here's where we landed. What we see in scripture is that there are feelings of love. Am I right? We see that the, you, you can have emotions tor- towards a person, right? Yes? Okay. All right, I was kinda, that was weird. Um, we have feelings, right? Affections for other people. Some good, some bad. We, you can feel love, but it doesn't end there, right? The, those affections, those desires should motivate you even when you don't feel them sometimes, to action. How do we know this? How do we know this? How do we know that, that, like, that love is, is more than an emotion, right? Like, like it's not as just that's the only thing you feel, but, it, but, but love moves you to action. It moves you to do something. Why do we say that? Because we see it in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful word. Um, it's a beautiful word. Um, it's the word called hesed. Um, in fact, it's such a beautiful word that there isn't an English equivalent word to describe it. And what is it? It's the word for love, but it's not just like love. It's not just the feeling of love. It's more the action of love. And in fact, we see a beautiful picture of it in Exodus chapter 34 when Moses is recounting what the Lord is saying to him. And here's the, 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 the multifaceted uh, idea of the word. The word is like, like a loyal love. Um, loving kindness. There, there's ideas of compassion and mercy that are in that, a, a faithful love. And, and what the Old Testament is trying to communicate is that God loves us in a way that is hard for us to explain in our language, but God loves us and he loves us so much that he is faithful to that love, meaning he is faithful to the promises he made even when we're unfaithful. That God is compassionate, merciful, and kind towards us when we do not deserve it. And then we see a clear picture of it in the New Testament. And the New Testament says, you guys have heard this before, John 4.10, it says, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Whoa. Think about that. That God's desire for you and me, the primary attribute of God, Love. He wants us to demonstrate that love, the chesed in the Old Testament, and the picture of it in the New Testament through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He wants us to experience that love. How? By showing love to other people. That is profound in of itself because it tells to a community and a society that's individualistic that it's not about you. It's not about your self-love. It's not about what you can love. It's not about who loves you. It's about who you love because of who loved you first. That's the benefit of being in a community is to experience the love 
the greatest demonstration of love. And in fact, in the New Testament, there's about 64 commands in the New Testament that says one another. How we treat one another, what we ought to do for one another, what, what we ought to say to one another, what, what we ought not to do to other people. And, and that picture of the New Testament tells us, right, that God cares deeply about his people so much that he wants to demonstrate his love to them through you. And yet, and yet, we live in a world and a culture that says, no, self-love, your own love, is more valuable than loving other people. We live in a culture that values what you can get out of someone else rather than what you can provide to someone else. So Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse nine, here's an interesting part about Romans chapter 12. Before we get to verse nine, Paul outlines there are spiritual gifts, everyone ought to exercise those spiritual gifts in the church. And then he stops and says, verse nine, let love be genuine. In fact, he does this actually in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about all the spiritual gifts. Do this, don't do this. And then, right after that, in chapter 13, he talks about love. Why? Because we are tempted in a community to exalt and lift up the skills and capacities and talents of individuals instead of loving each other equally and well. The goal of being community is not to exalt and lift up the spiritual gifts. The goal in the community is that everybody operates the gifts so that they can love other people. It's not for you to show off what you can and can't do. It's not for you to say, look at me. No, it's for you to say and do, what can I, how can I love you? So the commitment to community, the commitment to doing life together, right? The commitment of like grieving with others who grieve, rejoicing with others who rejoice, the point of being committed to community is based on love. That's what verse nine says. Verse nine, the commitment to being community is based on love. That's why we do community. That's why we live in community. It's so that we can love others. And why is love so important? Why is love so important in community. I think there's two reasons that jump out at us in this passage. One that we kind of don't see, but I'll tell you what it is. Um, here's what the church in Rome struggled with. The church in Rome struggled with unity. Here's why. You had Jewish Christians, you have Gentile Christians. At one point, there was an edict by the emperor of Rome, and he said, all the Jews need to go. They're causing too much trouble. So they leave. So the church is now left with just the Gentile Christians. After some time, the Jews are allowed to come back to Rome. The Jewish Christians come back to the church. And now they have to figure out how they're going to live together with the Gentile Christians. So Paul's point, the main objective in him writing Romans, is to build unity in the church. We don't see that explicitly, but that's kind of where he's going with the entire book. The second reason, right? The second reason why 
Love is important in community, right? It's, it's because he wants to build an ethos, meaning he wants to build a virtue. He wants to point people to the primary virtue. And in this passage, we see the primary virtue that's based on God's character is love. Love that's demonstrated by action. Love that goes beyond a feeling. He wants to avoid an unhealthy hierarchy in the church that's based on spiritual gifts, that's based on capacity and, and, and personality. He wants the church to love. Therefore, the remedy right, to individualism, the remedy to um, focusing on personality is doing life together for the purpose of loving each other. So, so how does he do that? Well, verse nine tells us, abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. Way you do that is having biblical truth, knowing what that biblical truth is, and hating what is evil. There is a righteous hatred that we can have towards what is evil. And when we're committed to loving in the community, we're committed to the biblical truth of sound doctrine that informs our beliefs about God and other people, right? Like theology, if you know anything about theology, theology, what it does is it informs our behavior. What we believe about God, his word, and ourselves and others is going to inform our practice. So if we believe that God is love, we believe that God loves people in community, then our response to a loving God is to love other people. That's how that works. That's theology, right? So, so you hold to what is good. Then look at verse 10. He says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. See, in the Latino culture, especially in churches, um, we greet each other with a kiss. Um, I learned a big, big lesson in life. Um, not everyone's Latino. <laughs> Seriously. Quick story. <laughs> I go, I went to Liberty for seminary. Had a friend from New York City who went to school. We saw each other and we're like, hey, how you doing? She was a female. In the Latino culture, men kiss women, women kiss men on the cheek, right? Cheek to cheek and you kind of make the sound or sometimes you use the lips, but for the most part, you just do cheek to cheek and you do the sound or the lady does the sound. I see her, she's Hispanic. Hey, how you doing? Give her a kiss on the cheek. She had a roommate. Her roommate wasn't Latin. So, because I'm so wise, I decide, shake my hand. And typically, you can shake the hand or a hug, but I go in for the kiss. Oh, my gosh. She goes. And I panicked. Because this was my first interaction with a white girl. What do I do? I don't want to get locked up. What do I do? Thank God for my friend. She said, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. We're Hispanic. We kiss on the cheek. And I'm just like, yeah, I am so sorry. <laughs> then, in my mind, I'm like, how, what do I do? Like, so how's your day going? You know, you get so awkward. I'm trying to, right now, draw the picture back to the passage. It's like PSD. Um, 
The Bible says, right, when we're committed to love, what he's saying is to love one another with brotherly affection. What does that mean? It means that we view everybody in this room, the people who are committed to this church, the people who live in community, we are committed to viewing them as though they were our brothers and sisters in Christ. Meaning that we view them, our relationship with them, as a stronger bond than any natural, ethnic, or cultural bonds that we have. That's what that means. It means that we in this room who are doing community together view each other as though you're my brother and you're my sister. And that relationship is more important than any natural relationship I have with my family. So, so that's what the brotherly affection is, that you love them and you will do anything for them as though they were your own family members. Why? Because it was Christ who died for them. It was Christ who loved them. That's why we love each other. And shame on us. Shame on us for those of us in this room who have strife and division with people in this church over something that happened 20 years ago. Shame on us that we avoid each other in the hallways because we remember that interaction a long time. Shame on us that we ignore people who walk into this building because we're here just to pump gas and walk out. Shame on us that people come here and tell us all the time, we don't feel loved and welcome. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are our brothers and sisters. Shame on us that we would ever allow that to happen. But that's the result of sin, right? That's the result of sin, right? And there's great mercy and grace to redeem that very thing. Paul says we are to love with brotherly affection. Why do you think I ask you to shake hands with 25 people? Because there are people in this room who have little interaction with each other throughout the week. And this is the one time in the week they get to see more than one person. Like we live in a culture now where people are working remotely. Think about what that means. If you're single, if you're a widow or widower, you don't get to interact with people very often throughout the week. So when you come here on Sundays, this is the first time you see more than two people in your life. So when I ask you to go shake hands with people, what I'm asking you to do is love them like they were your brothers and sisters in Christ so that when they walk out that door, you know what they can say? I've experienced the love of God in my life. That's the reason why. What we also see in verse 10 is the commitment of love in the community is to care for others before ourselves. People are weird, especially in this church. If you're a first-time guest or you've been coming for a while, we are weird. We're weird. I'm not, but they are. <laughs> but but here's, here's the benefit. Here's the benefit. Um, um, you, if, if your struggle in life is self-promotion, there are people I meet that as soon as I say hi to them, I know it's gonna be a 30-minute conversation. I, there are people I know that, like, if you're with them for five minutes, they, they can draw every conversation you have with them back to something they've experienced in their past or something that's going on in their life. And then you're there for 30 minutes, you're like, oh my gosh, I've never said one word. Kind of weird, but it's okay, right? If you struggle with self-promotion, 
if you struggle with, with pride, the remedy, the solution to that sinful action is to view people made in the image of God, to see them, and to care for them. So if you struggle with self-promotion, if you struggle with, with domineering personality in community where you're constantly having to talk because you have some issues, that's okay, we welcome that. The remedy to that is verse 10, to care for others before yourself, is to actively in your mind approach people and ask them how they're doing. Talk to them. Let them talk and let them respond. Like That's the beauty of brotherly affection is that you care for them. The remedy of self-promotion is caring for other people in the community. Verse 11, a commitment to love is to serve the Lord. Okay, so what is Paul saying? What do we see in this passage? The act of devoting our time, the act of devoting our energy and community to love one another is a ministry to the Lord. Remember, so when we do life together, when we grieve with people who grieve, when we love them, the chesed love, the way God loves us, not perfectly, but, but, but willingly, that love, when we love other people, what we're doing is we're not serving ourselves, we're serving the Lord. It's like a ministry to him. It's saying, God, I'm gonna devote my time and energy for the glory of your son Jesus by loving people who are difficult to love, right? Like if you want to love someone, if you want to care for someone, find people who you find it difficult to get along with and love them in the community. Like show them that. That's the beauty of doing it is that you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for your self-promotion. You're doing it as a ministry to him to say just as much as you care for them, I'm going to care for them. Why? Chesed. Your faithful, loyal, compassionate, merciful love. Isn't that amazing? That when you live in community and you're committed to love, you're not doing it for the group. You're doing it for him. But then Paul says in verse 12, it's not only a ministry, it's not only a service, but, but, what? Look at it. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Here's some hard news. A commitment to love in community, look at me, the commitment to love in community is going to be a test of endurance. The truth is that we failed at this. We failed, when I mean we, all of us, in our Christian walk, we failed to do this. We failed to rejoice in our hope. We failed to be patient in our trials. We failed to be consistent in our prayer life, right? Like, being in community is hard. It won't always be easy. But the command here is persevere with each other. Like the beauty of being community is that when you're lacking the patience in your own trials, you have someone there to encourage you to say, hey, have hope. I love a translation in the Bible that translates this passage. Um, it's beautiful. It says, let your hope keep you joyful. 
Let your hope keep you joyful. What is our hope in? Our hope in is not in today. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in political leaders. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus and a future hope where he makes all things new. So when you're living in community and you're committed to love, you are reminding people, you are encouraging them to think not about today, about tomorrow, the future tomorrow. The tomorrow that says he's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. The tomorrow that says that, that, that he's going to make you new. The beauty of being in community is that when you face trials and bitterness and anger, frustration, and when you're sad, there are people in that community that can say, let your hope be joyful. Remember what God has done. Remember the hased love of God in the Old Testament, demonstrated in the New Testament. Remember and pray. The church in the New Testament faced a lot of calamities, adversity. They faced persecution. That's one of the reasons why he puts that in there, right? Because they're dying. It's not like, oh, roses and butterflies. Everything is great. Life is great. No, it's like, oh, Billy just died because he's a Christian. That encouragement can only happen in community. can happen in isolation. And if you believe it can happen in isolation, oh, I read my Bible and I pray every single day, but I have no fellowship with the believers, you have believed the lie. Not in isolation. I'm reminded of Hebrews 12 too, right? What does Hebrews 12 too say? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, right? Like when we suffer in community, when we are, are, are enduring hard trials, we are reminded of the person who came before us, who did the very thing that we could not do for ourselves. Finally, what we see in verse 13 is a commitment to love in communities to strive for unity. Um, Because of our sin, because of our waywardness, we are prone to division. And if we do not work hard to build unity in the Bible, we will suffer division and strife. And the way, the remedy to division and um, the remedy to, to strife in the church is unity. How can we be unified? Well, verse 13 is a practical way of, way, of the way we can be unified. We, we can be contributors to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Like the way we can be unified is focusing our attention not only on the gospel, but how the gospel is in the life of, of people who are in need of tangible needs, right? Like it doesn't make sense for us to live in community and to talk about the gospel and yet the person who needs food, the person who needs water, the person who needs shelter doesn't get those things from the community. And we're just saying, let me share the gospel with you. No, give that guy a house. Get him what he needs, like help but that happens when there's unity in the body and when everyone in community is working towards unity. The American culture in our, has lied to us. Live in isolation. In fact, the idea of like contributing to the needs and being hospitable was the idea of if a stranger came to your house and knocked on your door, open the door and let them stay. That was the idea in the New Testament. We would never do that. 
That would be crazy, right? We don't want strangers in the house. No, but the idea is that we'd be willing to do those things for the glory of the Son, Jesus. You want to build unity? Seek to contribute to the needs of the people in the community. That's how you build unity. When there's a common bond and a common action. When we're doing things together, you're focused on an objective, it builds camaraderie. It builds unity in the community. Oh, that kind of rhymed, didn't it? My question for you this morning is, are you in community? Are you part of a group that's doing this? Are you part of a group that's a glorified Sunday school class? You're there to hear the word, walk out, and that's it. You may have banana bread and a cup of coffee. Like, like is, that, is that the extent of your ABF? A Sunday school class? Don't you want more? I mean, imagine what our church would look like. Think about this. Imagine what our church would look like if all of us were in community. What would that tell the unbelieving world? These people know how to love. Not love perfectly, love well. That's our objective. It's not to love perfectly. Our objective to live in community, to be in the body of Christ, to serve one another, is not to love perfectly. Only God can do that. The purpose to love in our community is so that we can love well and demonstrate God's love to other people. But what would happen to our church is our church would be a magnet. We would never have to put those tables out there because we would be overflowing. Because everyone would be in community and our neighbor, I mean, think about it. Think about what would happen with our home groups, that there would be a consistent number of people who would attend a home group. What would the neighbors say? What's going on over there? What would the neighbors see that, that, like, when they hear about that their neighbor who's suffering from cancer or going through a hard trial, that, that that ABF, that community, consistently loved on that family for that entire duration, and that's happened. In fact, it's happened in Sean Martin's ABF. What would our church look like? It would be a magnet. People would want to come. Why? Because they would say there's something different about that church. They love differently. They don't, they don't love the way, like, the way we love. It's not a selfish love. It's not a fake love. Like, they love for real. They love well. Like, that's what would happen, right? To love well in good times and in bad times. To love selflessly, not selfishly. That's love. A demonstration of God's chesed. Don't you want that? Look at me. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be loved and love others? Then be part of a group, a community of believers, people who are committed to demonstrating God's love for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, that you loved us before we can love ourselves and, or even love you. So we ask you, O oh Lord, beyond just joining a group, we ask you, O oh Lord, that you would help us love others the way you love them. God, if we've loved inappropriately, if we loved others in ways that do not demonstrate your loving kindness, God, would you forgive us? And if we haven't sensed loved or experienced the love, God, would you give us a burning passion in our hearts and our minds to be part of a 
body of believers who are willing to love, willing to care. God, let the chapel in Akron be a church known for its love. Not for its past, nor for its past glory. That it would be known a church who loved, who loved them well. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.